What I want to focus on this morning is something that I believe is essential for these days and this hour, and that is to stay safe. It's a crazy world. How many of you know that? It's gotten so crazy that some people still have not come out of their house through all this COVID stuff, afraid of sickness, afraid of disease, afraid some cities barricaded up, all sorts of stuff going on. Some people are staying in their house because they feel it's safer there. We yet to find out the ramifications of this level of isolation that many people have been in, the psychological impact, the impact on our children and so forth is, is yet to be weighed in. This morning, I do want to share with you this aspect of staying safe in the house, but it's not your house of brick and mortar, it's the house of God. Staying safe in the house of God. And I want to use an unusual portion of Scripture to help you understand the safety of the house of God. We start at 1 Corinthians chapter 5, and Paul says this, It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you, and of a kind that is not tolerated even among pagans. For a man has his father's wife. So we've got a younger man in the church who is now sleeping with his father's wife, his stepmother. And Paul says this is outrageous and the church is doing nothing about the immorality, this situation. They're not reproving him. They're not dealing with it. They think the church is great, moving along. This is Corinth. This is a Pentecostal church. This is the church full of the Holy Ghost, tolerating this level of sin. That Paul says even the pagans, the Romans, the Greeks, they wouldn't even put up with this behavior. Now, I don't know what he did with his dad, if he pushed him aside, whatever. But his father's wife is sleeping with the stepson. That's not my sermon. I'm not there yet. <laughs> he goes on, he says, are you, and you're arrogant about it. You boast about it. Ought you not rather mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from among you. So there's a level of tolerance to sin. I guess we have to evaluate that ourselves, don't we? How much level of sin do we have in the church? How much are we tolerating? There may be some things that I'm not even aware of in the church. You are, I'm not. As brothers and sisters, I think we need to deal with it because what happens in the body impacts all of us. Paul's saying this is not that hard. He says, I might be absent in the body, but I'm present in the spirit. And if present, I've already pronounced judgment on the one who did such a thing. When you're assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus and my spirit is present with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, you are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. That's pretty radical. We'll get into that in a minute. Your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump as you really are unleavened for Christ. Basically, he's calling them lumpheads. 
Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the festival, what, of Passover, the cleansing of sin, not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. Not at all meaning the sexually immoral of the world or the greedy and the swindlers and the idolaters, since then you would need to go out of the world. That's an interesting statement. He's saying, I warned you, I told you, don't hang out with sexually immoral people, greedy people, idolatrous people, and I'm not talking about the world, because you're going to associate with them. So he's telling us not to separate from the sinners of the world, because who are we to witness to? Right? Right? So at work, at home, in the marketplace, we witness to the sexually immoral. We witness to the greedy. We witness to the idolaters. But if it's happening in the church, we've got a problem. And the only way to deal with that is to separate from them, to let them know this is not acceptable behavior. But pastor, you might hurt their feelings. They need to be instructed. Their feelings need to be hurt because they're running on their emotions and their emotions are not accurate. How many of you know emotions aren't accurate most of the time? We don't go by how we feel. We go by what the Word of the Lord says. So he says that you are not to associate in the church with people in that level of sin. But now I'm writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed or is an idolater, reviler, drunkard, or swindler, not even to eat with such a one. So there's been commentaries that have said, well, this guy obviously wasn't saved if he's sleeping with his stepmom. Paul is saying he is saved. You call him a brother. And he needs to be dealt with. So, so in other words, to win a brother, we need church discipline. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside. Purge the evil person from among you. Ooh. All right. So I'm going to call out everybody's sin this morning. (laughs) Just kidding. I don't know how many seats would be left. God, we need your grace. But there's a difference between falling into sin. There's a difference between living in sin deliberately knowing it's wrong. And that's what we're not to tolerate in the church. So how do we deal with it? How do you manage church discipline? Well, Matthew 18 tells us. If there is sin between you and another brother, or you know of an issue of sin, according to Matthew 18 and Jesus' teaching, verse 15 says, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. So if a brother or a sister has sinned against you, or you know that they are willfully sinning, What are you to do? You have a responsibility to go to them. If you do not, you're participating in their sin. 
Think about it. So we're to go to them privately between you and that person. You don't start gossiping. Usually it's a gossip line. Usually lunchtime after church we start gossiping about, did you see this? Did you hear about that? I don't like this. He did that. And instead of eating food, we eat each other. He says do it privately between you and the person because you want to win a brother or a sister. Now, if they won't respond to that, it's called accountability. It's about caring enough for each other. Many times we don't even know each other well enough to do this. We have got to work on our relationships. The church is to be a place where we are grooming and caring for each other in our spirit. If they won't listen, then number two, verse 16, he says, take one or two others with you. That every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. You tried. They're not listening. You have to go to the next level. Bring a couple folks with you. Me and Sister Judy or Brother Bob are here. We're really concerned with you. We know what happened. We know what you're continuing to do. And, Brother, we, we feel that this is an offense. And it has an impact on the body of Christ. It has an impact of the impartation of the Holy Spirit in our services. We can't, we can't allow that level of sin to go on unchecked. And we need to deal with it. Now we'll see if they respond. If they don't respond, they're still arrogant, they're still boastful, they don't care what you have to say, then you go to the third step, and that's in verse 17. It says this, if he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, well, before we go there, so tell it to the church, tell it to the elders, tell it to the pastor, tell it to someone in authority with the church. The church should try to meet with them. The authorities of the church will have a meeting, sit down, have a confrontation, deal with this. This is serious. We are not taking sin serious enough as to its impact on the unity of the body of Christ. So we need to do that. This is all still my introduction. So we approach that person. Hopefully they repent. Hopefully we get it right. They may have to step down out of ministry. They may have to do this. And may I say this to many of you. This goes on in our church, but you don't know about it. There are times when I have had to use church discipline in a certain situation, but I'm not going to tell you. I'm covering for a brother who's repented, and we're restoring and putting them back in place. None of your business. Wouldn't you want the same consideration? We've been doing this for years for the health of the body of Christ. And so there's active church discipline. And so we process this through. But what if they're still unwilling to repent when one person went to them, two people as witnesses, now the church leadership, and they refuse? We get to level four, which says, let them be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Now, this is pre-resurrection. This is Jesus talking among Jews, and he's saying that they should be taken out of the fellowship of the assembly. Treat them as someone who doesn't deserve the benefits of the body of Christ. 
So that's where we're at in this situation. I don't know why we, there we go. It's a rare occurrence. This thing's beyond one person, then two, then the church leadership. This is a rare occurrence where Paul says even the lost people wouldn't tolerate this in their house. So he says to turn the guy over to Satan. Now, I preface Matthew 18 to this because that's the procedure we're to take. I would highly recommend that none of you pray for someone to be turned over to Satan. I don't want to be responsible for that. How about you? It has got to go through the levels of discipline and understanding and working with the person. Look, you might not like someone. Don't you go, well, based on 1 Corinthians 5, I'm just going to turn them over to the devil. I wouldn't go there if I were you. Let this thing work out properly and through the process. But in this situation, he says, look, I don't need to be there to figure this one out. Turn him over to Satan. Why? Deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of his flesh. The word in the Greek is sarx. That has to do with the physical body, but it also has to do with your mind. For one purpose, that he would be buffeted and beat up enough that he would repent and come back to the restoration to the church, that his spirit might be saved, right? Do you see this? That's the goal. So what's the goal of this? Vengeance? No. What's the goal? Restoration. Matthew 18, the goal is always restoration. That's why we've got to watch if if there's sin, we've got to deal with it and deal with it by covering and ministering to people, bringing them to repentance, not gossiping and slandering and letting this thing infect the whole lump as a little leaven leavens the whole lump. I've seen church splits and things grow because secondary people start gossiping and slandering and it's this and that and we need to take sides and we need to do this and this thing gets all blown out. This is serious stuff. It needs to be handled properly, dealt with. And if in this situation, all of it is to restore a brother. All of it is for the restoration of the church. Let's not kick people when they're down. Let's run to them. Part of my ministry through the years has been to restore people who have fallen into sin. One of the areas that I work with is pastors that have fallen into sin. They are immediately shunned. People are angry at them. Well, it does a lot of damage. It hurts and wounds a lot of people. But many times we're ready to kick them to the road. And there's times where I have to go in and I have to minister to that person. Why? Because they have a calling on their life. I want to restore them back. That's the goal of all of this. Isn't that the goal of Jesus for your life? Yeah. Now, What's my point? My point is this. Through all of this discussion, this emphasizes the assembly 
of God's people. The safety of being in the church. He is saying, don't treat this brother, and this echoes what Jesus said, treat him as a Gentile pagan, one outside the church, no longer receiving the benefits of the church. What is the benefit of the church? That's my focus today. Because if you hand this man over to Satan, he is no longer being covered by the fellowship of the saints. Let's take a look at the benefit of this assembly. He says, when you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus, how many does it take to assemble in the name of the Lord Jesus? Where two or more, already he abides within us. But where two or more are gathered, he then pours out, he covers. When you're assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus, what is present? My spirit is present. Now, look at, let's get the theology right. His Holy Spirit lives in each one of you as believers. I got that. You belong to him. I got that. But what this is saying is there's another level to the church body, the body of Christ. I'm not talking about the building. I'm not talking about this brick building. Now, we can have unbelievers come in here and not be covered by the presence of God. When I talk about the church, when Paul talks about the assembly or the church, he's talking about born-again believers who are in fellowship to the body of Christ. Are you with me? All right? So what happens when fellowship happens, koinonia, between brothers and sisters and the Lord? Number one, we're assembled in the name of Jesus, which is the highest name in heaven and earth. The Spirit of God is is present, and the power of the Lord is manifest. The dunamis power, resurrection power. Right now, all of you believers who have been connected this morning in worship through praising God, through your like faith one to another, you are under the authority of Jesus' name, under the anointing of the Holy Spirit, and what is present with us is the power of God's resurrection authority. And we think it's just coming to church. What I want to focus on this morning is how safe it is to be in the house of God, the assembly of God's people. Let's look at the implications from this scripture. Safety in the house, number one, is the presence and people of God. There is power from the Holy Spirit here. Where his nature is, the dunamos. Dunamos is a word that means the innate power of the nature of that subject. What is the innate power of God? The same power that created the universe. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead. It is here among us. So as the, the family of God, as we are the assembly of God... We have the authority of Jesus' name. We are the church, the ecclesia, the authority of God, the throne room on earth. we got to start acting like it. We don't realize what is happening here right now. 
We come to church because, oh, there's Uncle Joe and there's Freddie. I remember seeing him. That's nice. Oh, I like the bulletin cover this week. Oh, look. I like that song. Second one's one of my favorites. <laughs> Hope they have bagels and cream cheese today. I mean, if this is the level by which you recognize your authority and the covering you are under, how many of you know it's a mess out there, but you're safe from it under the authority of Christ's name? Amen. He's saying if this man won't live a sanctified life, set him outside the church and see how he does. So we got a lot of people who come in and out of this church, but they're not a part of the body of Christ. They've not made a commitment to Christ. They know about Jesus, but they're not fully committed, and their life is a wreck. Can I tell you why? They're not in the house of God, the household of faith. You can't play this game. You can't know about Jesus but not commit to him because the devil will have a heyday with you. There are so many backslidden believers who no longer associate with the body of Christ. They don't gather with one or two other believers. They don't pray. They don't, but they know Jesus. They, they came to Christ at some point. They're walking out unprotected. They need to assemble together. Second point, the prayer covering. I said, stop praying for this man. Turn him over to Satan. Stop interceding for him. He's not listening to God. He's not listening to the correction. Take him out from under the prayer covering. Do you remember that's what the devil said about Job? You put a hedge of protection around him. I can't get at him. How many of you thank God that when you have a problem, you call the church and the church prays? When you assemble together, the people of God are praying one for another. This morning as we're worshiping, we're praying, we're looking at each other, we're interceding for each other. There's a prayer covering for the house of God. There's a, there's a roof over the house of God. It's the prayers of the saints interceding day and night as Jesus is praying. How many of you want to be left outside of that? No, this is important. This is why we gather. We go on. The power of God is here to deliver, to heal, to restore. I don't want to go to a church that doesn't even consider those things. We've been praying for deliverance this morning. We're praying, calling out words of knowledge. We're, we're instructing and encouraging. Call upon the promises of God because we believe the power of God is in this house. Right now, we've been in here for a, a half hour, almost up to an hour now, and things have been loosed from heaven, released. Things have been bound in heaven and now bound here. The enemy has been knocked down. Answers have been issued forth and sent forth because the people of God have prayed. This isn't. This isn't a Sunday go-to-meeting thing. This isn't uh, feel good in your conscience. This is meeting as the house of God. Last of all, there's accountability to us. This is a sacred assembly of all the saints of God. Now, wait a minute. This isn't just who showed up today. 
You have to understand that when we gather in the name of Jesus Christ and the power of the Spirit is here and the resurrection power flows, we are in the fellowship of the saints, not just here, but we are seated in heavenly places. It's called the communion of the saints. I'm not going to get into the distorted view from Catholicism, but the actual view of the communion of the saints is that when the body of Christ gathers... We are gathering from around the world, and we are gathering with the great cloud of witnesses that have gone before us. All the saints in glory are gathered with us in this solemn assembly where two or more are gathered. So is heaven and all the saints that have gone before you. Put the man outside of that realm. I don't want to go there, do you? Sanctification takes the whole body of Christ because the last point is accountability. We need each other. And so that's why if you have ought against your brother or if you know a brother sinning, you go to him. It's accountability. Nobody wants to be accountable today. Don't tell me what to do. You're not my boss. Well, if I see you walking over a cliff, if I see you walking into the schemes of the enemy, I should have the right to say, well, don't come to me in three months for counseling then. Because I can see the way you're headed. But there's accountability. You go to that person. You talk to them. You encourage them. Come on. You're not doing right by the Lord. Or you take two witnesses. Or the church uh, deals with it. That's what the church should be doing. We've grown churches so large. We've grown assemblies so large that people don't even know each other. There's no accountability to each other. And so this is essential. Look at what Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 says. Let us consider how to stir up, better translation, provoke one another to love and good works. I like the King James. The King James says, let us spur one another on. I'm asking all of you to wear spurs to church next week. How many of you have heard of cowboy churches? Anybody hear about cowboy churches? Guess who goes to cowboy churches? That's right, cowboys and cowgirls. So next week we're going to come with jingle, jangle, jingle. Wear your spurs. Why? Because it says spur one another on. Do you know what a spur does? Why do cowboys wear spurs? Prods the horse. And the horse goes, go. We're supposed to do that to each other. Prod each other. Provoke each other. Stir each other. Come on. You can do better than that. Come on, I know the gifting and calling. Don't shy away. Come on, we need you here tonight. You have something to offer. Come on, you shouldn't be going with that person. You know that they're only going to take you down. Well, mind your own business. You are my business. We are each other's business. And if we don't continue to care for each other and call out the sin, it's going to leaven this lump. How many churches are lumpy with sin? And nobody cares. I don't know about you, but I'm praying and crying out, and been looking for God to pour out on his people week after week after week. And I don't want 
Somebody sinned to block that flow. He goes on and he says this, provoked to good works and to love. Not to neglect meeting together, as is the habit of some, but in encouraging one another. And here we go. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. What day is he talking about? The return of the Lord. The end times. This is an end times verse. If there is one thing the church should be doing... For the last days, it should be doing what? Assembling together. We've seen a large move politically, a large move to keep the church from meeting, haven't we? It can be under the guise of health. It can be under the guise of politics. It can be under the guise of anything you want to put on it. But let's keep the church from meeting. And that's the worst thing the church can do. The assembly of the people of God is where the Spirit pours out and the authority of the name is declared. This is where politics should be deliberated from the throne of God. Here in the church, we decree, we decree, we decree over this land, we decree over this city, Our war is not against flesh and blood, but in the principalities and the heavenlies. We decree, we assemble here today under the authority of Jesus Christ by the power and dunamos of his spirit to decree that this city will come to the knowledge of Jesus Christ. We call out that every abortion clinic will be shut. We call out that pornography will not increase. We cry out right now from the authority of this seat of authority in Roseville that sex trafficking will stop uh, on this street. We close down the heroin line on Gratiot. We say no more. Okay, you ready for bagels and cheese? Do you see what I'm talking about? I know this was a strange verse. And I know that this was all about some guy sleeping with a stepmom. How weird is that? But the point is, in the story, what was he cast out of? The safety of the assembly of God. This is where you have to stay safe. Don't forsake gathering together. I speak to all of you on Facebook. You need to get back. You need to come back. I know you're looking for your safety. But please, let me encourage everybody. Assemble. It doesn't have to be in this church. It can be with two or three people at your house. It can be with a couple people at somebody else's house. Just gather as the people of God for the kingdom of God. Please, please assemble as the people of God. Gather together, please. Because many of you, many people, and I'm speaking to some that have, are going to hear this by uh, our website or watching it on Facebook, you're wondering why you are being attacked in your body. You're wondering why you're being attacked in your mind. You're wondering why. Because you're not walking in the safety 
of the body of Christ. Come back to the fellowship of the saints. Come back. My conclusion is this. In 2 Corinthians, the next letter that Paul wrote, chapter 4, verses 5 to 11, Paul says this. Now, if anyone has caused pain, he's caused it not to me, but in some measure, not to put it too severely, to all of you. For such a one, this punishment by the majority is enough. You should rather turn to forgive and comfort him, or he may be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. Commentators debate, but many believe he's talking about the guy they turned out of the church. See, there have been abuses with this excommunication. There's been abuses with putting someone outside the church. They, they shunned them, put them outside the church. Paul said to do that. But it's to restore them back to the church. I've seen churches that shun people and never want to see them again. That's not the heart of Jesus. This guy was to be restored. He said, you know what? He's getting trampled on. Forgive him. He's repented of his sin. Bring him back into the house. He says, I beg you, reaffirm your love for him. Forgive and comfort him. For this is why I wrote you, that I might test you and know whether you are obedient in everything. Anyone whom you forgive, I forgive. Indeed, what I have forgiven... I have forgiven anything has been for the sake of Christ so that we would not be outwitted by Satan. We're not ignorant of his designs. So though the man was cast over to Satan, he finally repented. Now restore the man. Bring him back. Why? Back to the safety of the house of God, the fellowship of the brethren. If there's anything I could share with you today, is for you to realize how valuable it is to belong to the body of Christ. How protected you are by the body of Christ. And all that is in this, let us not forsake this gathering in Jesus' name. Let's bow our heads.